morning is going to be a little bit different. Um, you're not going to have my sermon notes on the screen. It's in the app. So if you have the app, I filled in all the answers, okay? So you're not guessing ahead of time what the answer will be for the, get, for the little thing, because I know you all do that, because I do that. I say, okay, Kenneth, this is what I think you're going to say. This is what goes in the gap. Um, but I wanted to leave this up here on the wall. Um, a few weeks ago, I was with some of uh, some really important people in the, in the Southern Baptist Convention, people like Kevin Ezell, who's the president of, of North American Mission Board, a f- former president of our uh, Southern Baptist Convention, and James Merritt, he has a large church over in Atlanta. And I shared with him what we were doing. So I said, James, let me show you a picture. And um, it was a picture of this, and I showed it to him, and I said, these are the names of people that our people brought to the altar and said, these are folks that need some Jesus in their life, right? That we need to tell them about my Jesus. And so I showed them these names. And um, by the way, I sit over there every Sunday in the second service with my family. And, and I don't know about you. Have you found your name up here? You've looked, right? <laughs> I know. So, so my name's right over here someplace. Uh, Rick is sitting right over there, right below my dad. Uh, it says Rick, and, and, you know, most people know that I have Jesus in my life, but there's another Rick out there, right? There's another Rick out there that doesn't, maybe doesn't know Jesus. And this is what James asked me, and, and if you knew James, Dr. James Merritt, he is an evangelist at heart, so it doesn't matter where we're at, what we're doing, um, if it's a waiter or whatever it is, he'll just, he'll ask him some, some church-like question, like, do you, do you go to church somewhere? And if they say no, uh, he'll say something to the effect, well, why not? You know, sometimes people didn't grow up in church. And this is what he said about these names. He says, Rick, that is unbelievable. That is, that is incredible. All these names that, are, that your church knows that may not know Jesus. And here was his second comment. He says, so what are you doing about those names? What are we doing about these names? I said, well, we're praying. He said, man, that's fantastic. We need to pray for those names. He says, but what else are you doing about these names? I said, we're trying to equip our people to be able to share their story so that we can reach these people with the gospel of Jesus because we know that the gospel of Christ can change a life, amen? Because it changed my life. I was seven years old. I grew up in a Christian home. I had Christian grandparents. I had uh, Christ, uh, Christian great-grandparents. I even know my, knew my great-great-grandmother who lived to be 105 years old, and she drove at 101. Can you imagine that? Nobody else drove that day when she was on the road, but she drove at 101. <laughs> great-great-grandma Pelsey. And they were Christians, and they believed in this thing called faith in Christ. And my heritage is, is my family is, is from the area of Hungary and Germany, and they were being persecuted for their faith, and they heard about America, this land of the free where you could worship without being persecuted. And what did they do? They grabbed whatever they could, got on a boat, and came to America. That was my heritage. I didn't know I was going to become a minister of the gospel. That was my background. And I grew up in this environment where, where I went to church, and church meant something to us. And, and by the way, we just didn't go to church on Sunday. What did we do back in the day? We went to church Sunday morning, and we went to Sunday night. Remember those days? And then on Wednesday, we went Wednesday night, and the poor preacher had to preach three sermons that week. And we thought that was just normal. 
And, and then we had other activities, and church meant something. We went because Jesus meant something. And I grew up in this environment where my grandmother, she would sing to us these old hymns. And then one day, my grandmother asked me, she says, Rick, you want to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? I knew all the answers, right? Because I grew up in the environment. And yes, I said, yes, Grandma, I want to know about this Jesus. How can I get Jesus in my heart? And I was a young child. My uncle, John Mark, took me up to his bedroom, and we knelt beside his bed, and I prayed to receive Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I want you to know, at that young age, all I knew was that Jesus died for me, and he saved me from my sins so that one day I could be with him in heaven. I didn't know a lot, but it was enough, right? I didn't have to know a lot. I knew enough. My heart knew enough. My mind knew enough. And I want you to know that I grew up years after that in church, and I heard all kinds of testimonies, like Kevin's, man. I love Kevin's testimony. And it is powerful, isn't it? How God saved him through the muck and mire. And I used to think to myself and go, you know what? I wish I had a testimony like that. And then I had a preacher one day and said, no, you don't. I said, no, you don't, Rick. He said, Rick, be grateful and thankful that you had great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents and, and a heritage and, and, and a mom and dad who took you to church and they taught you about the things of Jesus and that at a young age, you came to know Jesus. That is a testimony we're sharing. And many of you in this room were just like that. You grew up in church and you, you got saved at a young age. Thank God, praise God, Right? I didn't, have to be a, I didn't have to go through all that stuff. And I'm grateful for that, that God, in the midst of all that muck and mire that's in our world, saves people out of that. My testimony was different. My outcome is exactly the same. Kevin and I will be in heaven one day. His path was different than my path. My path is different than yours. And I want you to know, the path of all these people who are up there will probably be different than yours. But here's the question. Who's going to share with these people? Who's going to take the time to share with these people? I want you to turn to the book of Luke, chapter 23, and we're going to be there this morning. Luke, chapter 23. And by the way, this is going to stay up there, so if you're looking for my notes, it's on the app. If you don't have the app, it's probably too late to do that this morning. I can't explain it to you real quick, but we can get you the app. And it's, on, it's in the app, my notes are. Luke chapter 23. Let me set the stage. This is usually kind of an Easter or pre-Easter sermon. But this is the last act of Jesus' ministry while he was alive. And the last thing he does is he takes somebody with him to heaven. So here's Jesus, and he's been arrested and he's gone through all these various things. He met with the Sanhedrin, and they didn't, they, 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 they called him a blaspheme because he called, you know, he said that he was a son of God. And so they sent him away. And, and now he goes before Pilate, and, and Pilate doesn't know what to do with him. So he goes through all this, the, these channels, basically, and finally they condemn him to go to the cross. And he's taken to the cross. 
And we come to Luke chapter 23, verse 32, and let me read. It says, two other criminals were also led away to be executed with him. And when they arrived at the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. And they divided his clothes and cast lots. Verse 35. The people stood watching and even the leaders kept scoffing. He saved others, let him save himself if this is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him. They came offering him sour wine and said, if you are the king of the Jews, why don't you save yourself? An inscription was above him that read, this is the king of the Jews. Verse 39. Then one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Aren't you who you say you are? If you're the Messiah, he said, save yourself and us. But the other answered, rebuking him. Don't you even fear God since you are undergoing the same punishment? We are punished justly because we are getting back what we deserve for the things we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then Jesus, then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Verse 43. And he said to him, Jesus said to him, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Today, you will be with me in paradise. There's four realities of these thieves that was on the cross. We don't know a whole lot about these two men that was on either side of Jesus. But obviously, uh, it wasn't that they had, you know, like one moment in their life where they stole something. It was probably something that they had a track record. It got to the point that if they did it one more time, you're going to the cross. We're going to execute you. So these two thieves hung on either side of Jesus, condemned to death. In fact, of these four realities of the thieves on the cross, the first is this. Both of them were condemned to die. Both of them. There was two kinds of death that day. There was a physical death that was going to take place, and there was also a spiritual death that was going to take place. Hebrews 9.27 says... It is appointed for men to die once, and after this, the judgment. You and I, we don't have a choice, do we? We will die. We've seen a lot of that over the last two years. We don't have a choice in this. We will die. Both of these men were going to die that day. See, after Adam and Eve sinned, things completely changed for the world. When they sinned, it brought death into this world. So the outcome wasn't going to be all rosy. The outcome was going to be death. Genesis 3.19, God said, For you are dust and you will return to dust. There is this physical death that we're going to incur if we live long enough. There's also this spiritual death. Isaiah 59.2 says it this way. But your iniquities have built barriers between you and your God, and your sins have made him hide his face from you so that he does not listen. We've been separated from this holy God 
because of things in our life, there's these barriers that have been put up and we've been separated from him. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Because of our sin in our lives, because of my sin, I don't have this character of God anymore. I don't have this glory of God anymore. And because of that, I'm separated forever unless God did something about it. These thieves on the, on the cross were separated from this holy God. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of your sin is death. Both physically and also spiritually. You know, even Jesus felt these two deaths that day on the cross. Here's Jesus. He lived this perfect life. And he goes to the cross for one reason, and that was to take all of our sin with him that he would bear on the cross. And so when he took all the sin of mankind, past sin, present sin, and all of future sin on the cross, he felt this separation, this barrier between him and his father. And he actually said these words on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why don't I feel your presence in my life right now? And we know that God the Father will restore all that. But Jesus felt this separation because of the sin he had to bear on the cross for you and for me and for all these names who are up there. So there was this picture that both of these thieves, both of these criminals were condemned to death. But here's another reality. Both of them were covered by God's provision in who? In Christ. Both of these criminals who were going to hang on the cross next to Jesus, both of them were covered by God's provision in Christ. Look at verse 39. Then one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Yes, he is the Messiah. He was the one who was to come and to save the people. He is Savior and he is Lord. Romans 5 verses 6 to 10 say it this way. And it's a wonderful passage of scripture. This is what it says. For while we were still helpless... While Rick Swing was still helpless, at the appointed moment, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a, a just person, though for a good purpose person, perhaps someone might even die, dare to die. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for you and me. Much more then, since we have now been declared righteous by his blood, don't let that get by you. I'm a sinner now, and I'm unrighteous, but because of his blood, now I've been declared righteous because of what he's done. He will be, we will be saved through him from this wrath. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, Will we be saved by his life? Think about this. Christ died for whatever's going on in their lives. Whatever the junk is in their life, whatever the disobedience is in their life, wherever they're at in their life, Christ died for them. It was God's provision. 
in these scripture verses, he died for the ungodly. Literally, that means the irreverent, the wicked, basically the worst of the worst. Charles Manson, these kind of individuals. God died, sent his son Jesus to die for the ungodly, the worst of the worst. He died for the sinner, literally someone who is not free from their sin. They struggle sinning, which is probably most of us. And it says here in this passage that he died for his enemies. Literally, someone who is constantly opposing God. I can remember one person in Scripture who was like this, and it was Saul. He was opposing God. He was opposing this thing called Christianity. He was opposing this movement that was taking place, and he was a zealot, and he was doing everything he could to oppose God. He changed his tune when Jesus met him on this road to Damascus. And this enemy of the cross of Christ, this enemy of the things of God, then became the point of the spear for Christianity. God had a plan in Jesus to cover all of it. 1 Peter 3.18, great verse in the scripture says this, For Christ also suffered for sins once for all the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God after being put to death in the fleshly realm but made alive in the spiritual realm. That word once for all, once, literally means that it's good forever, never to be repeated again. In other words, Jesus went to this cross one time. And (laughs) y'all, he's never going back again. Because what he did that one time was enough for all of eternity. How cool would it be for, for you as a parent to tell your child one time to clean up their room and never have to do that again? <laughs> Praise God, hallelujah, right? Amen. Jesus, come back soon. One time, once for all. He went to Calvary once for all for every name that's represented on here and every name in all of humanity, Jesus went to the cross once for all time. All time. So that what? He might bring you to God to open up a way for you to get to God, to render you acceptable to this holy God because we fell out of grace because of the wages of sin is death. In our lives. This means that everyone who sits in this worship center today, and I mean everyone, is covered by God's provision in Christ. It literally, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how ugly you've been. It doesn't matter where you're at. It doesn't matter the mess that you find yourself in today. God provided a way through all of it through his son, Jesus Christ, once for all time. Both of them were covered by God's provision in Christ, and both of them that day on the cross made a choice. Look what it says here in verses 40 and 41. So there's this dialogue that was taking place on this cross. So Jesus is in the middle, and you have this 
this, this criminal on one side of Jesus and the other one, and this criminal over here is mocking Jesus because everybody in the crowd was mocking Jesus. And Luke records this, he says, but the other one answered, rebuking this other criminal, don't you even fear God since you are undergoing the same punishment? We are punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things we did. But this man, this man in between us, this guy right here has done nothing wrong. Absolutely nothing wrong. See, one rebuked Jesus, the other embraced Jesus. Both were sentenced to die. Both were next to the one person that can change their eternities. And both had the opportunity to choose life with Jesus in heaven or life with Satan in hell. Both of them did. Only one of those criminals chose Jesus that day. I don't know if you know this. Most of you may. You know, there's only one sin that cannot be forgiven. We can be forgiven of a lot. In fact, we can be forgiven for everything except one. And that's to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And what that means is, it's this picture that if you're sitting in here today, or maybe you've been in multiple worship services, or maybe you're watching something online, and and you felt this compelling nature in your heart that says something is wrong. I need a Savior in my life. And that's the Holy Spirit knocking on the door of your heart saying something is wrong. Here's the answer in Jesus. And you know that and you reject that. Basically what you're telling the Holy Spirit is whatever you're telling me about Jesus is an absolute lie because he's a fraud. That's blaspheming the Holy Spirit. That's the one sin that will never be forgiven. That's the one sin that condemns you to hell. That's the one sin that separates you from this holy God that says, no. When you reject the Holy Spirit in your life from making a change in your life. On the cross that day, the criminal that hung on Jesus' left side blasphemed the Holy Spirit. And he wouldn't be forgiven. And he made a choice that he would spend eternity in hell. The other thief made a different choice. See, point four is this. One of them received life in heaven. The other received death in hell. Verse 42 and 43. Then then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, I assure you, Today, you will be with me in paradise. See, the thief on the right acknowledged that he was wrong. He was a sinner. He acknowledged that Jesus was God's provision for that sin in his life that separated himself from a holy God. And that day, the criminal on this side of Jesus on the right said, you know what, Jesus, I'm putting my belief and trust in you, even though, I don't know a whole lot. Even though I'm not a biblical scholar, even though I haven't memorized any scripture, even though I haven't been to church, even though I haven't been in a Bible study, even though, fill in the blank, it didn't matter. Jesus says today, today, not tomorrow, not next week, but today, 
you'll be with me in paradise. I don't know about you, but I have no idea on this earth why anybody would say no to that. Why would you ever say no to a life in heaven with Jesus for all of eternity and say yes to the opposite? Eternity in hell with Satan. I don't understand. Today, you may be sitting there and going, you know what, Rick? Maybe for the first time in my life, the thing in my heart that reminds me that I probably don't have it all together. I probably don't know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I question, I doubt, I fear whether or not I will spend eternity in heaven or in hell. I have no idea. I would tell you today, today's the day of your salvation. I would say today, you need to say, Jesus, remember me. Remember me. What you did on the cross, Jesus, you did for me. Because you don't have to be all these things. You have to have faith and you have to believe. We're going to do an invitation. I know this is a short sermon. It's meant to be. We're going to show a short video. It's seven minutes long. And it's based upon an old preacher. And by the way, I love those old preachers. I'm kind of, I, I would be a pulpit pounder, you know, that kind of, I would get in to start pounding the pulpit. It's this kind of preacher. And he talks about the man in the middle. Do we have this? Can we roll this? Watch this. Hey, it's Joe. Message and I'll call you back. Hey, Joe. And just want to talk. Please, son. Call me back. If you were to die tonight and, and, and you were getting get entry into heaven, what would you say? If you answer that, and if I answer it in the first person, we've immediately gone wrong. Because I, because I believed, because I am this. Loved ones, the only proper answer is in the third person, because he, because he, Think about the thief on the cross. I can't, I, I can't wait to find that fellow one day to ask him, how did that shake out for you? Because you were cussing the guy out with your friend. You'd never been in a Bible study. You never got baptized. You, never, you didn't know a thing about church membership. And, and yet, and yet, you made it. 
You made it! How did you make it? That's what the angel must have said. You know, like, what are you doing here? Well, I don't know. What do you, what do you mean you don't know? Well, like, because I don't know. Well, you know, what you... Excuse me, let me get my supervisor. Then go get the supervisor, Ranger. So, wait, just a few questions for you. First of all, are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? The guy said, I've never heard of it in my life. Let's just go to the doctrine of scripture immediately. This guy's just staring. And eventually, in frustration, he says, on, on what basis are you here? And he said, the man on the middle cross said, I can come. Now, now, that's the, that is the only answer. That is the only answer. And if I don't preach the gospel to myself all day and every day, then I will find myself beginning to trust myself, trust my experience, which is part of my fallenness as a man. If I take my eyes off the cross, I can then give only lip service, while at the same time living as if my salvation depends upon me. And as soon as you go there, it will lead you either to abject despair or a horrible kind of arrogance. Hey, it's Joe. Leave a message and I'll call you back. Better hurry. The mail will be here any minute. Dad, I don't know why you haven't called or written me, but I'm writing you. Me and Mom said you did some bad things, and now you have to pay for them. But I don't think of you as a bad man or a bad dad. I still love you, and I pray for you every night. I miss you. I forgive you, Dad, and Jesus forgives you, too. Joe, Dad again. I know you're mad at me. I know I haven't been there for you. I chose work and pay over everything. Look, son, I know you're in trouble. I want to be there for you. Will you please just let me help you? Call me back. Son. Dad, where, where are you? I need help. I know. I know. I'm coming. 
what basis do you think you should be free? On the basis of the man on the middle cross. Excuse me? I've been forgiven. If you were to die tonight and, and, and you were getting entry into heaven, what would you say? On what basis are you here? The man on the middle cross said, I can come. 